0: It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. I'm Tom Scarda, the host and your guide through the franchise industry. Today we have a bit of a different podcast for you. I have a great author and, and a friend, Dr. Johnny Mitt uh, Carley, who is the author of The uh, Alchemy of Power, Mastering the Invisible Factors of Leadership. And if you are in franchising, this is something you need to pay attention to. This has a lot to do with culture and how the culture of an organization runs. So whether it's a franchise unit or the entire entire franchise company, Dr. Carley has some insights that I'm sure you probably never heard before, and it's just absolutely, absolutely fascinating. So Dr. Carley is the author of The Alchemy of Power, Mastering the Invisible Factors of Leadership. She advises and, and consults with businesses, nonprofits, government leaders, and also writes and speaks about value-driven leadership and cultural development. She holds a doctorate in the reinvention of work, and is a United Nations consultant. Dr. Johnny works with private and public sector leaders who wanna do well and do good. Her leadership advisory services and cultural transformation articles and her talks are geared towards a robust quadruple bottom line. So it's interesting, it's all about prosperity, people, planet, partnerships and peace. So doctor, are you there?
1: I'm here. Hi, it's great to be here.
0: This is so cool. So um, I just got a shout out to um, Steve Harrison and the folks at Quantum Leap in Philadelphia, who um, sort of in a way put us together, unbeknownst to us until we found each other on another podcast uh, on a roundtable. And uh, as soon as I heard um, Joni speaking, I was like, wait a second this lady is speaking Steve Harris type language. So um, Steve Harris is a great, great PR guy and just a great guy in general. Yeah. Um, and and you're, you're based right near their offices in Philly, is that right?
1: I am just outside of Philadelphia, yeah.
0: Very, very cool. So you have um, two books, is that right?
1: I do, um, I have a chapter in a book with Deepak Chopra and Jack Canfield called Stepping Stones to Success. And uh, the book that I have out more recently is called The Alchemy of Power, Mastering the Invisible Factors of Leadership.
0: So that book looks at the invisible factors of leadership. What does that mean? (laughs) Can you tell me like what the fact is? Yeah,
1: yeah. So think about it like an iceberg, right? Like 10% of the iceberg you can see, 90% of it is below the water. And that really determines how much and how well what stands above the water is gonna be there. So if you think about it in terms of a business, the strategy, the production, you know, all of that is the top 10% of the iceberg. What's really grounding it and, and holding it in place are the values, the culture, the consciousness that's going on. And we know more and more about this level that we used to kind of toss aside as woo woo and fluffy stuff. But I have a chapter in my book called The Fluffy Myth because uh, we, we've been taught that all that stuff is inconsequential fluffy stuff. There's, there's no data that back that up anywhere. And there's just tons and tons of data. So a lot of it's in my book, but um, I have a lot of references at the back of it. Um, there is so much data that backs up that what Steven Pinker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> and if you think okay. about it, like the culture in a lab dish, right? You really don't see all that's in that culture, but it'll grow some things and it won't grow others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if you wanna grow bacteria, well, it's gonna grow some bacteria, but it's not gonna grow other bacteria because culture doesn't, isn't, isn't put together to support other bacterial growth. Same thing in a company. If you want to produce, or even a whole country, like if whatever results you want to produce, you've got to have the cultural soil that's actually going to nourish and grow that. So you want profits, you want people getting along, you want coherence, you want uh, consistency across, uh, in in the case of franchising, across uh, different outlets, then uh, you need to manage these deeper, more invisible factors. And one of the way we break those down is with values, which is another invisible factor values are the building blocks of culture. And uh, when you really pay attention and consciously develop values and what I do is I work with assessing them using a database methodology that actually assesses the stuff. And so you get real clear numbers on on how you're doing on seven levels of culture and where you wanna go, where the blind spots might be, where the strengths are, where the growing edges are. And once you identify that, you can account for it. Mm -hmm. And because we know culture is so determinant in outcomes, it is the biggest determinant of outcomes, bar none, period, bottom line, culture determines outcomes. Uh, And yet so few people account for their culture. It's just a, a really massive
0: oversight. So like when you say culture, I'm thinking about Kind of the vision statement and the mission statement that the CEO puts out or the founder of the company. Is it based in that kind of thing or is it even deeper than that?
1: Well, you know, think about how many of those vision and missions are in uh, back shelves, you know, hanging on the wall. Nobody even could tell you what it is, Mm -hmm. um, let alone whether or not they're signed on to it. So those things tend to be pretty nice on paper, but but they don't often uh, really integrate into the company. And they're often put together by one or two people and have nothing to do with what the people in the company are actually getting together to do um, or what they think. And that's why I like these database methodologies. You get all voices in and you get a quantified readout and lots of graphs and charts and data points on what is the the bottom line here that people are after. Then when you craft the mission and vision statements out of what's authentically so for that group, or what they're aspiring toward, then you've got something real. But you, you're not, you know, when the, the vision missions that somebody put together a long time ago, hanging on a wall or sitting in a back drawer, at, at best, uh, if anybody's even conscious of them at all, they're cracking whips to get people to come along. They're either being bullies or very charismatic to get people to come along and sign on, whether they do or don't, they're trying to, you know, shove them in this square hole. These are important things. Vision and mission are really important things. But uh, it's how do we hold them? How do we account for them? And uh, how do we build the cultures that will bring these things to fruition?
0: So in, in franchising, it's interesting because, you know, you could be the CEO or the founder of a franchise and you have dozens or hundreds of people that come from all walks of life. So they're coming in with different values and different, you know, cultural learnings. And, 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 and so how do you get that to be a really harmonious melting pot
1: well values are the common denominators and uh you know it it doesn't matter whether you're poor rich you can you live in asia or us or sub-saharan africa it doesn't matter everybody's got values Uh and uh there are what we do is we measure what are the top 10 personal values what are the top 10 values going on in the company now uh, or the culture now whatever we're measuring Uh, we sometimes measure whole countries Uh, We do this in many languages so we can actually capture from one language to another to another and get a coherent readout on this. And then the third thing we measure is what's the aspired to values? What do people really want? And then the the algorithms on the back end split those into a hierarchy on seven levels. The bottom level, sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of need, the bottom level is, is there a profit? Are the lights on? Are people safe? You know, are, are, are things happening, you know, generally uh, healthy, and then you go more into relationships and you go into, is there transformation happening or is there kind of a growing edge or is this company looking at itself and, and moving forward? And at the very highest level, you have greatest good you know, contribution. And what the data is showing, you know, we used to think of like the same as the fluffy myth, like we'll get to that greater good stuff somewhere down the line. That's an afterthought, it's the fluffy stuff, but the data doesn't bear that out. What we see is when you have a full spectrum organization, then, uh, you know, and of course you have to go with the needs. If if the floor is falling apart and everybody's cold, you're not going to, you got to deal with level one, but you know, there's no profits, but, but still, and if you don't have an eye on, on this more full spectrum uh, development, then you're probably cutting yourself off at the knees, even though it feels like a luxury to go for these other things. Uh, That's just not bearing out in in, uh, studies.
0: So where things might, kind of go off the rails is if you had for an example two different franchise owners in, in the same concept and one feels like I'm in this thing because I want to make a million dollars and I'm going to do everything I can to make a million and then the other person is like I really just want to make the best sandwiches ever and please people and and the CEO is like but tell me about your profits you know and and is, is that what you mean is that is that how yeah, incongruency kind of yeah
1: So we can measure those incongruencies and you'd be surprised there's a lot more congruency than than you would expect a lot of times between these people, but you don't know. You're just guessing if you're not measuring. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it might be one value expressed by one, one value expressed by another. But um, when you look at those words, they're awfully close and there's a lot of dialogue that can happen there to build. And also, you know, the two that you just described are complementary. You need both in company. And so people think you want to match where everybody thinks the same. You don't want that. You want complementarity. But at the same time, you've got to have the leadership uh, chops To be able to be full spectrum your own leanings might be toward like bring in the next customer but if you don't have somebody around you who's looking at best practices who's looking at what's the next best sandwich the innovation and what kind of community members are we if you don't have those people on your team then uh you're really just kind of pigeonholing yourself and that cuts your growth potential off at a very low level
0: yeah and I have to agree with that. It, and you know the thing that I find interesting these days, and maybe uh, you could be complimented for this, is as I work with people looking to buy franchises around the country, I'm noticing that more and more people, especially as they skew younger, as I'm getting older, everybody seems to be getting younger, but the people that call me that are in, like let's say, their 30s, are saying, you know, one of the main criteria for me in a franchise is I want to know that they are aligned with a charity or doing some kind of work like that, in addition to, you know, doing what they do. Um, otherwise, I am not interested in that company. I don't care it's hardwired
1: in millennials. It is hardwired in millennials. That is really so. But one of the problems with that is the company that gets signed on to often has nothing to do with mission and vision it's often somebody's brother-in-law's favorite charity they didn't know what else to do it might be a you know i i uh, consulted with one franchise where all their charitable work they were out of texas all their charitable work was in uh, a children's home in texas but they were a national company so who gets turned on, you know, I mean, that's great. I, of course you want to support a children's home, but, but you're not really incentivizing or including the people who are in other states and have other priorities besides children's uh, homes.
0: So when you say you could measure this data, are, are you literally giving um, organizations a test?
1: It's an assessment. It's a 20 minute online assessment available in many languages takes about, well, 20 minutes to a half hour. And uh, it's pretty simple, it's just list of values. I mean, it's, you know, the most profound things in life are, are elegantly simple. And this is one of those things where you get pages and pages of data and readouts and charts and graphs and plots and, and dots. I mean, it's just unbelievable the, the, the level of reporting that comes from this simple assessment because values link the intangible to the tangible mm-hmm. and values are the building blocks of culture. So when you start to look at, you know, what are the alignments here? What are the the disalignments here? And we also look at what we call entropy and entropy is the energy not going toward mission fulfillment. So one thing you sometimes see is silo mentality. So maybe in a franchise, like we do it this way, but we wanna be the best store. So we're not gonna share that. We're gonna keep that information to ourselves. So we stand above in corporate size. Well, that really doesn't serve corporate that well. It doesn't even serve that franchise as well as they, they might think it does. Mm-hmm. But if we see silo mentality, we can start a dialogue there. You know, people will identify that. People are smart. There's, the group wisdom is extraordinary. And, it's, you know, it blows me away every single time I see it just how wise the crew is. Mm-hmm. You know, they will tell you. And when you see uh, 20, 30, 40, 50% entropy, that's two, three, four, five people out of 10 who might as well have stayed in bed in the morning, because when your values aren't fulfilled, when you feel like you're going to be, um, uh, you're either dealing with corruption or greed or um, being put down or, you know, some of the dysfunctions that go on, you know, you can name those in, in what we call limiting values. And um, when you know you're walking into that, a little chunk of yourself doesn't come in the door. You hang your a little bit of yourself outside the door before you come in in the morning. And pretty soon that snowballs. And then you get people talking smack about the business instead of talking about what the next best sandwich might be or how mm-hmm. they're going to you know, do something a little better the next time or how they want to do a suggestion back to corporate because I've got a great idea. You know, that's the culture you want to that kind of what I call mojo, that kind of pizzazz, that energy that that, you know, really. Um, and, and, and that's priceless. Mm-hmm. That's really the gas you've got to go on. That's your cultural capital. And you want to prioritize that by having a culture that, that grows it and that you, you have people coming to work excited, you know, happy to be there. It might not be the most thrilling thing they plan to do. They may have other interests, but they know they're going to be respected. They know they're going to do good work for a company they can trust,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they see their voice mattered because when they see the, these plots and dots and graphs that go up on the wall when we debrief these things, they know they're in it. Right. You don't have to lobby them. They're there. You've <laughs> already, They're already enrolled. That is nine-tenths of what of, of the job that a lot of leaders get stuck uh, in the muck with is trying to get people on board, trying to get people on board, right? You know, it's push and pull, try, you know, and it's just, it, it's exhausting for everybody.
0: So you're saying that there is a possibility that a leader of an organization, whether it's a franchise or not, can actually change the culture if they decide to start measuring it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the nice thing is, once you start measuring, it, you've got a baseline to see. And you've got a, a very clear roadmap because people have told you where they want to go, they've identified what's up. And you can see from that roadmap are, are is all the energy really just going in what we call the, the bottom three levels, which is you know, the profits, the relationships, the, the best practices. You know, you can spin a lot of wheels there and do okay, but the ceiling's very low mm-hmm. if you don't break into the higher levels. And so you can see, and and the group wisdom always wants to go there. It's just shocking. I always expect the group to kind of where they want to go in the third column of of, uh, their aspirations for the company to match who they are as people. Like you would think like, I want this company to be more like me, right? It doesn't, it doesn't. What it shows is, you know, this is who I am when I come to work. This is what's important to me. And you see stuff like family. So I was advising one tech company and there were two guys, and of course, you know, it was a small company, so they worked insane hours. And one, one had kids and one didn't. And, you know, the one had family values out there. He just wanted to get to his daughter's dance rehearsals, he, recitals. He wasn't trying to screw the other guy, but the other guy kept feeling screwed. And all he wanted to do was get to ball games, you know? Uh-huh. And once they had that conversation, it was no longer a thing,
0: uh-huh. it
1: was no longer dysfunction between them. It was like, oh, that's your value? What? I can get, you know, it's not my value, but but I get it.
0: <laughs> it's almost like marriage counseling now. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you don't even have to, because, you know, you're in the vernacular of values. You're talking the language of values. And so you're already on healthier territory than right. what's wrong with you. You didn't show up. You didn't, you know, you cut out early, you know, so
0: blah, 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 So interesting. I, 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 I could tell stories about that kind of stuff, but... The um, so I, I just love that. You talk a lot about mojo. What do you mean by mojo?
1: Mojo is that energy that makes a difference. Like you could put all the um, elements of a carrot in a lab dish, but we can't make a carrot. because we don't understand that metaphysical mystery that makes life live that okay. makes us show up, you know, the book is called The Alchemy of Power because uh, this is one of the factors, one of the invisible factors of alchemy, right? So um, you could have all the, pretty much uh, a crew with the same credentials. You could have the same raw materials at the same price. One leader produces gold, the other leader produces lead. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of mojo, because one's got, the cultural capital the energy the 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 pizzazz the vitality and they're able to harness it and direct it the other isn't able to do that alchemical feat that's what alchemy is 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 making one and one is more than than two right right Mm -hmm. and so you know making uh metals that you wouldn't expect this is what we used to think a very limited idea of it is that it's turning lead into gold but, but it's a way bigger concept than that. It's a way more important concept than that because it does come down to, for a leader, what are you going to make out of what you got? And if you don't measure your cultural capital, if you're not accounting for your cultural capital by, by assessing it, then you're just guessing. You're working off conjecture and a, a, a wish and a prayer. You know.
0: It's very, very true. And the thing I think that's a little bit better about franchising is typically the franchisees are in they bought into this franchise and they're all working together to build equity in that brand Uh, so it becomes a national brand name thereby increasing the value of the franchise and then their profits ultimately and, and then to sell it even better so I think that there's probably more of that than it would be in a corporate America type situation where people go, people are like politicking for certain positions in, in the hierarchy.
1: The problem is people don't always even know what the brand is. Everybody has their own idea of what the brand is. And that's really where these assessments are so helpful is they put real words behind it. PR people love them because they give them real words that are true. Mm.
0: They're not. That's just, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, in the first franchise I was in, it was like that. It was Maui Waui um, smoothies, but it was actually, everybody thought it was Maui Waui Hawaiian because we had this Hawaiian theme and and people would ask, what, you know? do you sell pineapples? Like, what do you sell? <laughs> and um, it was just interesting and that, that's what's coming to mind for me. But I, I think that it also takes a great leader to say, I don't know what I don't know about culture and the culture in my own company, you know, can you help me?
1: Plus culture and brand are both things that you want to evolve over time, right? You never want those to stay stagnant. You want them to, mm-hmm. to you know, be constantly kind of reinvigorating, reinventing, you know. And so if you're not, if you don't really know what it is to begin with, then how are you going to stay on top of how it gets reinvented? And especially with franchising, because you got all these people have their ideas of what the new invention ought to be. And they're all going like, you know, you're trying to hurt cats.
0: Right. That's true. So true. I want to, I want to learn, or I want you to share a little bit more about your, your work on the outside with like um, the United nations as an example. What, what, what uh, t- tell us more about that.
1: So uh, I, I still do uh, the same uh, type of work, which is values driven leadership and cultural development. And uh, just culture has a much broader term <laughs> there at the UN because we're talking about world culture. I work a lot on global citizenship and uh, the idea that every being deserves to go to bed, safe, fed and warm. Mm. And so how do we build a world th- to do that? And it comes down to, you know, leaders do that, whether they're a leader of a, of a nonprofit, of a governmental or, or of a corporate, organization and now corporate and nonprofit are getting a lot closer together than they used to be there isn't as big of a dividing line as there used to be to your point earlier about millennials they're they're not going to be there if you don't realize that that it needs to be there needs to be some social responsibility built into the dna Mm -hmm. and and so that that's really uh you know i just work on that at a global level at the un And, uh, you know, trying to bring these ideas um, and and there's a real interest in it now because people are realizing that we can't get there on policy and practice and law alone. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. always going to fall up short. You can't hire enough police to do that. You've got to build a culture where crime just doesn't grow so easily. Crime isn't, people don't find the necessity to steal. I stayed with a tribe of headhunters in the jungle, in the Amazon jungle. They had no stealing and no lying. And it wasn't because they got in trouble if they did it. There, there wasn't anything punitive about it. It just, it didn't arise for them because the culture just didn't accommodate it.
0: so interesting. And, and so, since you brought it up, I got to I got to ask you to tell the story about that and you were telling it on the, um, the podcast that you and I were on together uh, last week um, about the headhunters and, and the way they war or fight each other. Can you? Yeah, go?
1: this is really interesting and, you know, kind of brings back to, to uh, looking at what we what we assume is real whether it's a small culture, a big culture, an indigenous culture in the, in the middle of the jungle, you know, kind of like our, our culture is the way things are around here. What do we think is real, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it depends on who you ask, but uh, so they no longer headhunt, um, but, you know, depends on who you ask. <laughs> uh, but, but when they did, uh, what they did was the warriors of one tribe would go after the warriors of another tribe, particularly the top one or two or three. And they would take those heads, which sounds really barbaric to us, uh, and is, you know, I mean, really at a, at a visceral level, it's like, uh, you know. But they thought we were way more barbaric because in our warfare, we kill children, we uh, kill um, plants, they wouldn't even harm a plant. And uh, in their warfare, they're respecting those leaders who are strong enough to threaten their community. They don't go after them just for any old reason. They go after them if they feel a threat. So um, if they feel like they're strong enough to threaten their community, they have deep respect, kind of like the uh, the samurai, you know? Um, the, some. And I go into the warrior archetype in my book about, um, you know, when, when you uh, really go into these deeper aspects of what a warrior is, then there's, there's respect for the power. And that's what this is all about is the power. And so the, the uh, warrior who, you know, claimed that head, there's a whole spiritual ritual that goes on about these, these uh, collected heads and, you know, all of that. So, I mean, it sounds crazy to us. But at the same time, you have to look at it from their perspective that you've got, um, my, you know, you've got kids hungry in a culture while the culture pays for military machines. That's unthinkable to
0: them. Right.
1: You've got uh, wounded warriors who are wounded uh, so deeply psychologically that they come back and create crimes, and uh, they don't have that because the that noble warrior. Uh, understanding is so deeply ingrained and uh, you know some cultures have a transition period between war and, and entering the home again uh, you know they 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 bring that nobility through and so before the warrior comes back into the community they know that they're whole that they're healed that whatever trauma they've experienced has has been managed so that they when they get in bed with their wives they're strong and and um, Peaceful beings. And, and, you know, as, as, as uh, crazy as, uh, and, and the schwa um, who I stayed with, they're, they're very isolated, very isolated. Uh, I got there in a dugout canoe and jungle boots up to my knees that I had to keep dumping the mud out of. <laughs> um, you know, they, they, uh, when, when Ecuador gets in a war, they go into the jungle and bring the schwa out because the schwa are honest. They, they take care of the whole team. They don't do any kind of gratuitous violence. Uh, you know, they, they are really strong and they're fierce. They're fierce, fierce warriors because they're focused in, in what they're doing and mm-hmm. the purpose, there's deep purpose there. But when they come back, you know, I mean, it's hard to make a living there. They they, they use blow guns that I could barely pick up. And uh, there's only a couple of plants that, I mean, it's really, even though it's lush, there's not a lot to eat. It's a big deal to eat. But um, the, the rest of the day, they spend a lot of time just laughing. They were so joyful. The kids were just happy and laughing
0: i mean it's not utopia but in some ways it kind of was yeah it's amazing it's it's just kind of the perspective of where you come from right it's it's so interesting i, I remember i was I, i'm i'm a bit of a foodie and i tell my kids the story when i were younger i remember sitting down uh, i was at, on a lunch hour and we we're in downtown new york with um a bunch of folks and and we were all foodies and so we went to i'm gonna say, I believe is gone back like 25 or 30 years ago. I think it was like an Ethiopian restaurant and we're all kind of like hustling in we're sitting down. And as I'm sitting down, I just kind of utter the words, um, man, I'm, I'm starving as I sat down and it smelled good in the place. And and the waiter just gently said to me, when was the last time you've eaten? And I was like, well, I had like a Kit Kat bar on the way over here. So, you know, <laughs> And so, but that stuck with me. I'm talking 30 years later now. I still remember that story so well because how long has it been since you've eaten? You
1: and know? think about it in terms of a franchise and continuity and coherence. Hmm. You know, you get someone in Africa, you get someone in Asia, you get someone from, from you know, Appalachia compared to New York City. And uh, they really bring, we all bring our, we're all acculturated, you know, yeah. we're like fish in water. And we make a lot of assumptions that we're all after the same thing, that we hold the same values. I mean, the headhunters are really extreme, but, but you could, by looking at such an extreme example, you can extrapolate that and come back and say, you know, how, how am I compensating for these differences? Like if you say, um, you know, we want more, um, more leadership development. Well, what does that mean to somebody in Appalachia compared to somebody in New York, compared to somebody in Hong Kong? Mm. You know, until you really break that down and start to have these dialogues that you're really stabbing in the dark and you're probably missing because you can't get there from here if you weren't raised in that culture. You haven't spent an awful lot of time in it. And you know, at the UN, I see so many examples of, uh, I'm very active here with my local transition town. And, uh, you know, it's a nice suburb of a major city. And so we have the luxury to ask about clean water. At the UN, some of the women who are presenting ha- have been working with women who had to decide which child was gonna live because they couldn't feed both, Right. you know? I mean, there is such a diversity on the earth and that's the good news that we have diversity, but you got to account for it and it's so easy to do. And so few people are doing it. And it, it, again, it, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. And 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 I love that. It's it's. Um, I think everybody's just worried about themselves, right? I mean, it always goes back to that. And um, it's it's yes. sad. I, I mean,
1: yes and no to that. Uh, yes, and, and there's a lot of work going on now on personal development. And I do have a, a part of the book about that. And it's important. If you're going to be a good leader, you know who has the most authority in the room? It could be the janitor who's ever done the most values development. Mm. So you could be the CEO, but the janitor may have more authority than you if they've done more uh, values development as far as who people are really going to listen to. That's they so might guess you, but they're really going with the guy they trust. or the woman Yeah.
0: Huh. So with with having good values and communicating that as a leader, that builds trust with folks.
1: It does, but it's not enough. And that's a lot of the problem I have with what's going on today. There's so much work and it's good work. I don't have a problem with the work, but it it gets into this kind of narcissistic spinning of wheels. Like, you know, you just get this one guy to be a better, or one gal to be a better, 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 better person. At a point you have to ask, well, so what? -hmm. And you know, so what has to be bigger? There has to be purpose. There has to be alignment of purpose. There has to be coherence in that purpose. There has to be, you know, something bigger. Like, what are you going to apply that to? And then, as you do it, it becomes cyclical. As as you grow into, you know, more than you thought you could be, that circles back around. Now you got to grow who you are as a person. So it's a never-ending thing, but people really stagnate at that. I'm going to develop myself level
0: mm-hmm. critical
1: level. A lot of people don't ever get there, which is even worse, but uh, but stagnating there can be just as big of a problem because people it, people's, people, with the best of intentions start looking egotistical and, and it's not really their motive or what's really going on, but that's how they appear because they haven't stretched the the rubber band into the a fuller spectrum of leadership.
0: Mm-hmm. So interesting. I just I'm thinking about, again, when I'm talking to people from around the country that want to buy a franchise, like I'm thinking, you know, you want a business that makes a lot of money. I mean, why wouldn't you? And that's coming from my cultural perspective. And sometimes people like I, yeah, that doesn't matter to me. But what are they doing to help the community where they operate? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. you, well, you know, the you, good
1: news is if they were thinking about the community, they're going to be banking more money.
0: And that's the, right. So that's that's the beautiful thing about it. And so um, I just love this time together. We have to do some more stuff, Joni. And, and it's just oh. a, an honor to have you. How can people get in touch with you?
1: They can go to my website, joneycarley.com, J-O-N-I-C-A-R-L-E-Y.com, J-O-N-I-C-A-R-L-E-Y.com. And on there, I've got a free download of four chapters of of the book with Deepak Chopra and Jack Canfield. And uh, you can go to Amazon and look for my book, The Alchemy of Power. Uh, And uh, I'd love to talk with you. There's a link on there to make a 20-minute call to just talk about how I might serve you. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Doctor. This is really just absolutely amazing. And Dr. Johnny Carley's information will be on my website, thefranchiseacademy.com. So you could pick it up there if you didn't catch it, if you're driving in your car right now listening to this podcast. But um, I want to just say many blessings to you, Joni. Just really great to have you on this podcast. Many
1: blessings to you, too. Thank, thank
0: you. Thank you. We'll talk soon.
1: Look forward to it. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.